to this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And on today's episode, we're going to discuss how athletes can handle coming back from breaks. Now, breaks can handle and breaks can occur in all sorts of different ways, whether they be based on injuries, um, extended breaks, or shorter breaks based on um, an injury. And we'll discuss how this might be a little bit different in an individual sport like tennis or in a team setting, which can also occur in tennis as well as other sports. Um, and also, as we know, uh, particularly last year with the COVID pandemic, breaks can happen for all different sorts of other reasons. Um, so in this episode, we'll talk about some of our experiences helping athletes uh, handle breaks, um, as well as some uh, issues with returning to play after an injury or after a break, um, and some strategies that can help uh, athletes along this process. Um, so why don't we start with discussing some different types of breaks um, that athletes uh, have encountered or are encountering and uh, some of the challenges associated with, with each of them. Yeah, so I think you named a couple there, Josh, injuries. And I think with respect to injuries, sometimes there are, um, you know, the nature of the injury may dictate, of course, how long one is out. So there, there are major injuries which could require, you know, greater say than three months, which you know may lead to sort of different feelings and um, and and then how you feel when you come back. There may be more minor injuries that are just a couple of weeks. Um, so I think we could split some of that up. Um, I think also another break to talk about is simply if. And hopefully players are doing this because I think it's important. Because in tennis, it feels like there's no off-season. I mean, the pros barely seem to have an off-season. But even, you know, we're in the tennis industry. It just sort of rolls from indoor season to outdoor season, you know. And then there's one league after another. Uh, here in New England, at least here in Massachusetts, there are different indoor leagues and then they roll into a spring league which normally would roll into a USTA summer league or something else and there's there's really no breaks there so as a as a tennis player sometimes we have to create a recovery period for ourselves and, and that could be one or two weeks and and there can be some anxiety with taking that time because oh everybody else is playing or there are tournaments at that time and we don't want to miss out or we don't want to lose our rhythm or something going on there. So I think um, it's it's good to associate, you know, some positive goals with, with taking that type of break as well. So um, I think let, maybe let's start with the injury one, Josh, right? So when we have, let's, I guess, begin with the minor injury. What are, you know, some potential concerns if someone say hamstring pull or something like that that's going to be a two to three week break what might be some of the psychological effects of that or aspects of of that type of break yeah i think i think a big one there and actually we were talking about this off air a little bit is that players or athletes very commonly will try to rush back from injuries, um, which can, can lead to a lot of issues, including re-injuring yourself and maybe right. making that injury worse. Um, so I think a big piece is, is knowing when to return and knowing 
um, okay, do we want to come back 100%? Do we want to sort of ease back into it? Um, so I think that's that's definitely a big one, but also the um, lack of confidence that, that a lot of uh, athletes deal with upon return, um, whether that be actually in, in the injured muscle itself um, or whatever the injury was itself. So, you know, trusting, maybe trusting that hamstring upon return, um, but also that confidence in their game, um, especially if they haven't been practicing or maybe have practiced in a limited way, uh, trusting that they'll be able to perform at the their highest level. Um, if it's been maybe a little more than a couple of weeks, perhaps a month or two, uh, maybe they don't feel match ready at this, at that point, because they haven't had those reps of playing matches of competing of, and we've talked about that skill of competing can, can go a little bit rusty, can needs to be practiced and refined. Um, so I would say the the confidence piece upon return can can definitely be challenging, um, and also just feeling comfortable on the court, feeling that rhythm um, after that break can be can be a challenge. But also making sure that players who are eager to play and compete and be out there um, don't rush back because I think we've all seen it maybe in our own lives or maybe with people around us that when people rush back, there's a, a high a high likelihood of of re-injury and, and of making the situation much worse than if you took it a little bit slower and eased back into things. I think that eagerness to get back out there probably is a, is a, is a challenge for everybody. I think we've probably, I've definitely experienced that with different injuries and perhaps even part, depending on the injury, maybe you can be still practicing during that time, say more stationary type of things. If it's say an ankle or a hamstring, and so you could just maybe hit cross court or do something very stationary where you're not doing anything explosive, versus another injury where it might be arm related and that could be more restrictive. But yeah, you're right. I think because it's you know quote unquote minor, we might think, oh well, I can just get right back out there and 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 see how it goes. As you said, it could perpetuate, or you could re re injure that and um so i think to me that's like the biggest challenge for someone especially if it's an injury they haven't had before because you don't really quite know how where you are in that rehab process there if it's an injury you've had before you probably have some sense of okay when it gets to this point i know it's a hundred percent and i can I can trust it. But with any injury that you've had for the first time, there's always, I think, that uncertainty factor. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces. I mean, just with anxiety in general, uncertainty is one of the greatest contributors to that. And that's certainly the case when you're returning from break, the uncertainty of, all right, how is the injury or the uncertainty of, will I find my game? I think especially for younger players, even if it is to say a week so you know, the time that we're recording this is just ahead of school break in Massachusetts. So a lot of the a lot of players are actually going away and may not be able to play. And then there's some anxiety about, oh, how am I going to play when I get back? I'm going to be so rusty because many of them are not used to taking a week off at any period of time. And so there's that uncertainty factor that begins to create some some anxiety. And I think it's up to people like you and me and coaches to say, don't worry about it. 
You're not going to forget how to play tennis in a week. And we'll get you back to where we know you can be you know, probably within an hour of your return to practice when you've just taken a week off. And so I think it's that that uncertainty. And I know I felt this when I've had a minor injury. Like, I don't want to lose my rhythm. So I'm anxious to get back out there, especially this is especially true if I feel like I've been in a place where I've been playing well. I don't want to stop. Now, that's also been a problem for me in the past as well. But I can understand how players would feel in that situation. So when we're taking breaks, there's a lot of different dynamics going on, uh, especially with with respect to injuries that might be minor. Um, Major injuries, I think, probably cause some different um, types of you know, anxieties or have some different psychological impacts when when those begin, when that recovery process begins. Yeah, yeah, and I think with with major injuries, you're you're more likely to miss out on bigger opportunities, whether that be a large tournament that you have your eye on on the calendar, maybe a national tournament, or maybe one of the sectional tournaments that you're really um, looking forward to, or in a team setting, maybe with high school or college tennis, it's a, it's a rivalry match, or it's the, uh, it's the, the championship for your conference. Um, so I, I think uh, with major injuries, um, the, the missing out of big events and of big matches is, is definitely um, an important factor and um, can be really challenging for a lot of athletes. I mean, I remember last year when, when the pandemic hit again, a little bit different than um, a long injury, but just the challenges that so many athletes were going through. I mean, I was working um, at a university um, and the, just seeing how athletes were, were struggling with that, that time, whether it be seniors who were ending their college careers on this note um, or, or, um, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors who were excited for the the rest of the season and the championships coming up um, and, you know, felt that they were in a good place. And as, as you mentioned, Brian, especially when somebody feels like they're playing well and things are going well, it can be challenging, but it could also be challenging the other way. If, if somebody's been, you know, having a tougher time or um, sort of, you know, going through a slump and then you the, the season ends on that, on that kind of a note rather than being able to sort of work your way through it. Um, but as, as it relates to longer term injuries and, and more serious injuries, um, I, I think some of the other challenges are this loss of identity that can, that can take place. Um, especially like in a, in a team setting, like, like college tennis or like, um, adult USTA teams, uh, when somebody's used to having a certain role on that team. And then all of a sudden for many months, they no longer have that role. They're no longer in the lineup. They're no longer maybe at practice every day or competing, uh, at practice in in the same way that they normally would. Um, so what are some, from from your viewpoint and your experience, what are some things that coaches can do to to help with that process to help um, athletes maybe not feel as isolated or or lose that identity and role on the team quite as much during uh, during that that long injury break? One thing to consider right away, I think, or is to have some empathy for the injured player because you mentioned this loss of identity. So what does that mean? Many of us. We associate ourselves as tennis players, 
it's a big part of who we are. There's, of course, some danger to over-associating who you are with your sport. But it happens, and especially it happens at the, at the you know, when we're younger or on a college team. And so when that's more or less sort of ripped away, you, you feel like perhaps your purpose is not there any longer. And so we want to understand that from a coaching perspective, that, hey, this player, a big part of their life has just been really disrupted by this injury. And they identify themselves very strongly as tennis players. It's a big part of who they are. So if we're in a team environment, or even I, I would say perhaps a, an academy environment, can we have empathy for that? But can we also try to give the player some role to contribute so they can be part of the environment? A big part of coming back from injuries is getting that social support to help you. Now, that can be family, friends. It could be your uh, physical therapy, rehab team. But if you're on a team or you're in a, some sort of tennis community, that's a part of it as well. And we we don't want to lose that connection to those people. So if we're thinking about a, a college tennis team, can this injured player somehow participate at practice maybe as a volunteer coach or, or, or player coach? Could they do something with stats? Could they do something with video? Are there things that they could do to help out so that they feel like they're still contributing to what's going on? Even if you were an adult league team, can you still go to the team's matches just to cheer them on, to be the support system for them? Then um, you, you'll, you'll still feel like you're a part of, of that. I remember... Um, a story that I have with respect to that is um, <clears throat> back in the early 2000s, I was on a uh, USTA league team that went to nationals and I, you know, I was out, um, but I still made the trip and just to go support them. It was also a nice place. We got to go to Tucson, Arizona. And so it was great to go out there, support the team and, um, and just again, be part of that, that community. It was a really fun trip even though I didn't get to play any tennis it was it was it was very nice and all the the people on the team and their friends and families really appreciated you know us showing up and and, and doing that and uh, so that that was actually a really kind of a, a cool thing to do so I think you know we want to see if we can try to stay connected to coaches to our fellow players because that's actually going to help us psychologically get through that period of time so that when we do come back, you know, we're in a much better place. We still feel like we're part of the team. Um, and we're not getting, I, I would say, you know, I guess it would help out with that loss of identity is, is really what I'm, what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a great point. And I think uh, I would say from my experiences um, when players have been involved in, in the team as they've been going through that injury recovery process, whether it just means being there at practice, maybe helping to feed balls at times. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's something that I've, I've witnessed that has been helpful, you know, play getting players involved in, in practice or in matches. You mentioned keeping track of stats or, or doing video or maybe doing some sort of um, scouting of opponents during a match and, you know, trying to identify some strengths and weaknesses, um, but ways so that players can still be involved and still contribute 
to the to that team effort um i think is huge and uh, i like that story about you going down to tucson and uh you know being being there to, to help support the team um because um you know I, when when a player is a part of the team it's ultimately not just about them obviously it's it's you know the the team effort and, and the team result is ultimately the most important thing and just because a player isn't able to contribute on the court and the way, you know, and, and actually get the win for the team. It doesn't mean that there's, they can't show that they're supporting the team in so many different ways. It, it actually reminds me a little bit of in a team setting, whether it be USCA or high school or college, um, when a, a player loses their match and they're, you know, disappointed by, you know, from losing that match and the team as a whole wins. Um, and it's okay. Can we, Yes, we're going to be disappointed. Yes, maybe you feel like you didn't play your best, but we don't want, you know, ideally that player is not moping around and all upset after the match when there's, you know, the, the larger the team result that was um, positive. So um, I think as it um, also during this stage, as we're talking about, um, you know, a player going through that injury, um, another thing to consider is mental skills. We talked about how physical skills such as your timing um, can go awry and you may not feel match ready, but also things like focus and concentration um, more on the mental side can uh, can get rusty or can be a challenge upon return. Um, so these are definitely things that can be honed off court as well as on court. Um and, you know, working with a sports psychology professional can, can certainly help with this process as, as well as coaches can, can help at, at times as well. Um, but thinking about some of these factors and, and recognizing that, especially if it has been an extended break, that when a player returns, they may not be able to withstand a two hour practice and be, you know, fully engaged and fully focused um, after an extended break. It may take some time to, um, sort of work out that muscle um, of being fully engaged, of being, you know, in in the present moment and being focused on the task at hand, especially if a player has not been not been at practice or, or hasn't has been living a, a different sort of lifestyle over the past few months. Yeah. And I think another strategy, because it's good that you mentioned the mental skills as something we can do during the injury break. Visualization or imagery is a is a is a nice way to get through that. Um, so, if we are on an extended break, adding in some more specific mental training, whether that be imagery, visualization, or some sort of meditation or other types of things, it could even just be watching more tennis and analyzing it. It could be reading more about the game, raising your tennis IQ in certain ways the more that you can be training your brain to handle so for when you come back um and and handle the return to play the better so i think one of the reasons that we often will suggest something like imagery is just the way it works in the brain is where you're creating that multi-sensory experience you're you're going through the same neural pathways that you would if you were physically executing that activity. So the more that we can be doing that on our break, presumably the more the or the easier it will be to find your rhythm when you get back because you've still been working those neural pathways in your head. 
It's not the same, of course, as physical practice, but it's, it's much better than zero practice. And so we can you know, keep up the, the skills to a certain level by going through some of that. So that's where I think it's really good to work with a sports psych professional or mental performance coach on let's come up with a good imagery plan that we follow during the week, you know, through your rehab so that we're still working on playing tennis in your brain, working on your confidence, working on the right emotional state so that when you come back, it'll be a little bit easier to find those things. So I think that's definitely uh, something players should consider when they're on extended breaks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree. I think, uh, one one challenge at times with introducing certain mental skills when player you know during a, a normal season is trying to time uh, introducing a new mental skill and then uh, maybe it's introduced off court and then bringing that to the practice court um, and then you know being able to utilize that in matches especially if someone has a big match coming up that can be a challenge so when somebody has an extended break uh, this can be seen as a great opportunity to introduce some of these things without maybe the concern of uh oh I have a match this weekend is this going to be in my head going into that match I've never I've never you know use this routine before, let's say, um, can we practice, uh, that routine, uh, when, when we're actually, when we have a break from the sport or, or, uh, can we practice, um, meditation and learn that, learn that skill of mindfulness, um, more when we have, you know, that time when we have that break away from the court. Um, and you mentioned imagery and visualization as well, which, um, I think also, you know, visualizing yourself um, being out there and maybe enjoying enjoying the sport um, particularly when players are um, you know playing day in day out for many years without a break um, at times they can you know start to get a little bit burned out and um, you know maybe forget and we've talked about this a little bit in the past you know forget about some of those reasons why they got into the sport in the first place that enjoyment that passion that fulfillment um, so maybe during that break players can think about um, do a little bit of, of soul searching and, and really you know journaling and, and think about some of these reasons why they play why they got into the sport in the first place and incorporate some of that and some of those feelings into the visualization and imagery process as well um, so I, I, so def, definitely, I think athletes should think about um, how they can build on their mental skills and potentially learn new mental skills during that time. And um, coaches and sports psychology professionals are definite can definitely um, be a part of that process. And I would I would also add that in a team environment, which we've talked about, um, coaches can as a way to help players um, not feel. Uh, you know, n not lose that motivation or not, not lose that identity, um, giving, giving injured athletes new challenges. Like, okay, let's, let's take on this, this challenge of learning this skill that maybe we haven't, um, spent too much time on maybe something like imagery. Um, so giving players new challenges and trying to help athletes, um, find a new, find an, a new motivation or a new, a new mission that, okay, this, this injury recovery, um, is going to be my, my mission where in the past I was spending three hours, let's say, um, between 
my between practice and strength and conditioning on being the best tennis player I could be, I'm going to be trying to spend a similar amount of time on my recovery. And what does that mean? Okay, that means being really diligent with um, you know physical therapy or with um, my rest or with learning mental skills that'll uh, help me during this process and also when I get back on court. But have helping a player to understand that, okay, their new, their new sport, their new performance now is that recovery process and doing everything that they can do within their control. And again, certain things, especially during this process, will not be in their control and also helping them to understand that and understanding that frustration and, uh, you know, anxiety about that process is, is, is going to happen is, is common. Um, but trying to control whatever they can and trying to, um, sort of rededicate themselves to this recovery process in a similar way to their dedication for the sport. That's a great point, Josh. That's your job at this point. You mentioned it's their mission, this is their job. And the idea of can you be as professional in your approach to that new job, new mission, so that you can get through it um, faster, you'll recover better, you'll get back to playing sooner. I think this is where, um, when it comes to breaks and introducing mental skills, that tennis is a bit of at a disadvantage with respect to other sports. So when we go through training as sports psych professionals, we're often taught that the best time to introduce, you know, mental skills training is during like an off season, or the second best is during a preseason. It's much harder during a season, and if you're a a typical tennis player, maybe you're somebody who's more of a tournament player. It doesn't feel like there's ever an off season. Um, with things like high school and college tennis, and and to a certain degree, adult tennis, depending on which leagues you decide to play in, there there is usually a period of time in which you're not in your actual league. And I think this is where it's important for coaches and players to understand. Uh, what we call like training periodization. So can you have training blocks? Can you have recovery blocks? And then can you have competition blocks during your year? And if you can be disciplined enough to do that, then there, then you'll find, forget about injuries for a second, you'll find times in your schedule in which you can build mental skills, but also maybe build some of your physical skills. Because you could say the same thing, Josh, with like learning a new thing in your in your game. Like, oh, you know, I've got this tournament coming up. Should I use this or not? And but if you've separated out things like, all right, we're going to take you know a month here, and we're going to work on a couple of things to help you in that next upcoming competitive season, then it gives you uh, you know some dedicated time to do that. It could be the same with mental skills as well, and so. Perhaps, you know, with the, with the tennis player, a forced break, like an injury, <clears throat> excuse me, to help you overcome um, even burnout or something is a great time to introduce those things. So I think that's a, that's a, a really great point. Um, I guess there is one break that is very unique to our time in history here. And that is, um, we're seeing it much more at the college level, is you test positive for COVID or you get um, notified as like in, in contact tracing, you're a close contact, and now you're quarantining. 
<clears throat> and we're seeing this, especially in college tennis, I would not be surprised now that high school tennis, at least in the Northeast, is beginning um, to see more of that with high school players. You know, a player actually I just spoke to yesterday, he got close contact and he got out of quarantine just yesterday, but um, it's happening. And so that's another type of break that we have to deal with. And I think I haven't had that happen to me, so I don't necessarily know the feelings of that, Josh, but I wonder... How do you think a college player feels when he or she tests positive and, and, and how that relates to their team? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really tough. Um, whether the player themselves tested positive or whether they, um, you know, are within close contact and because of that had to quarantine, I think there's, um, a certain sense of guilt that, that can take place. Um, where, you know, particularly if it's in an inopportune time um, before a big match or something like that, um, that they, they feel that they can't contribute to the, the team effort and maybe they're second guessing some of the decisions that they made or, um, you know, some of the things that they've done in the past that, that maybe led to it or, or even just, um, you know, feeling that feeling that they would, they wish that they could be out there. Um, playing matches, um, going and, and trying to, to win, um, that important match that's coming up. Um, but, uh, I, I also would, would say that that loss of identity that we've talked about can, can take place, even if it's just, you know, a week or two weeks that that player has to sit out where they, you know, they maybe have settled into a certain spot in the lineup or they've gotten accustomed to playing with a certain doubles partner and all of a sudden that's taken away from them. And maybe it's something totally out of their control, like they were in close contact with somebody and then that person ended up testing positive and they feel like, hey, I didn't do anything wrong here. I didn't even test positive. And just because of this, I'm not allowed to compete. So could definitely be be a sense of you know not being fair or this is being taken away from me um so feeling like it's it's not justified um but yeah it's a it's a unique challenge for these times that's that's for sure um i i guess how how would you help help an athlete who's going through that um to to deal with some of these challenges and maybe how can they best handle it in the best way whether that you know upcoming tournament or event is maybe the last of the season or just some some point during the season itself yeah i think it's it's a tough one too because the the other part of this is you're going to go into quarantine and you are going to be on your own yep there's no <laughs> come to practice and contribute or or that and it could be your entire team goes into quarantine so it's important to somehow maintain some social contact with your with your teammates, whether that's virtual. You know, I know everybody has some sort of you know virtual Zoom, whatever fatigue these days. So many things have been done done on that, but it's 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 important to do that. I think some of the same strategies we were talking about before are useful. Um, remembering why you do this that was actually a, a topic that I had discussed with a team different sport this past spring they've been asked to do so many things just in order to have a season and it was really good to remind them okay why is it that you play this sport 
why is it that you've made all these sacrifices to compete, you know, at this point in time? And because it, it, a lot is being asked of athletes, especially at the college level. Many of them are being tested you know, two or three times a week just to be able to be cleared to practice or to travel. There's a lot going on. So I think it's good to show some empathy with it, with what they're going through, help them re- reconnect with their why. But when it comes to coming back, some of the same strategies we've discussed, imagery, remember some things, perhaps recall some highlights, watch some of your sport, watch some of your favorite players, and then do some imagery of you playing like your favorite player. So stay engaged with your sport so that when you do return, um, you feel like perhaps like you've never left. But I think that this one, let's hope that some of this type of thing starts to really decrease as we go through the summer months and into into the fall, that, that this becomes less and less of a reason for people missing things. Um, let's transition, Josh, to we've returned to play day one. We're back on the court. What are some things that you think players should focus on, think about? What are, should their goals be when they return to play? Yeah, I think a big one is um, definitely trying to keep expectations low um, at the beginning, not expecting that on day one you're going to be playing, performing at at the level that you were um, in the past or not expecting that you're going to be at your your highest level right at the the onset. Um, We've talked about that, that quote of keeping expectations low and standards high. So trying to do whatever you can do to give yourself the best chance to perform at that highest level and having high standards of yourself on each part of that process, whether that be um, the strength and conditioning piece, whether that be the the mental skills piece, the um, technical parts of the game and practicing those parts of the game and sort of finding that timing and that rhythm again, Um, nutrition, hydration, sleep. Um, so having high standards for yourself, but also keeping expectations low at the onset and understanding that it will be a process to come back, um, to, to your highest level, um, and, and setting some goals for yourself along the way. Um, we've talked about that goal setting process, but, um, being diligent and and writing it all out, having, a trying to have a plan, um, in terms of your recovery and setting some goals for yourself along that process. Um, but also being able to reevaluate your yourself um, and reevaluate those goals, knowing that, hey, th- there could be setbacks along the way. This might be a longer recovery than I imagined. Um, so being diligent um, in that, that process of setting some goals, but also understanding that, hey, it's going to take some time. Let's keep expectations low in the beginning and not, um, not expect that we're going to be at 100% because that that can uh, lead to a loss of confidence and that can lead to um, players feeling like, Oh, I'll never get back to that point where I was. So if we're a little bit more realistic and, you know, start slow and just, okay, today, all I want to do is really focus on my rhythm and really try to feel the ball and, you know, watch the ball and really try to um, get, get that good, that, that feeling of, okay, being back on the court and feel, feeling my strokes. So that, that could be a, you know, a goal for a player at practice on a, on a certain day rather than, okay, I want to be 
back to where I was two months ago. And I think that strategy, if you take that, just trying to get into a rhythm, keeping your expectations low, you'll actually find your game faster than if you're thinking in different ways. And so I think that that's a, a really good way to approach it, Josh. I think another perhaps positive emotion we can bring that first day is, can we be grateful to be back? Can we appreciate that, hey, this is tennis. This is where I love to be. I want to be on the tennis court. Um, and perhaps just through that first practice, just really, in a way, be smiling inside that, yes, I'm back. This is what I love to do. And that'll be easier to keep if we're keeping our expectations low. If we, in a way, know that we're going to be off a little bit. But the goal is just to get that rhythm and that feel back. And that can start with you focusing on your breathing, keeping your body loose, um, trying to have a nice rhythm with your breath, um, good body language, good energy while you're out there. Go back to watching the ball. It's a nice, easy, simple thing to focus on. You could start off with bounce hit in mini tennis, watching the spin of the ball, whatever appeals to you. Nice, easy focal points. Now, sometimes... You know, a player will have that on day one. It'll go really well. And then what happens on day two, the expectations get ramped up. And then day two isn't quite as good. Perhaps the magic here, perhaps the message, Josh, is we should always play it this way. Keep our expectations low. Just try to find a rhythm. You'll find it faster and faster each day, but you're probably going to find yourself really uh, hitting the ball nice and smoothly and solidly if you can make this kind of how you approach the beginning of every every practice. So um, one thing that um, one of our past guests, Bill Tim, talks about, I think this is more of a, a philosophy in even, say, long-term development, but you could use this as part of your warm-up, this progression. Um, and he, he gave it a uh, an acronym, CAP. So CAP stands for consistency. So that when you're first out there, can you just look to – Bring some consistency to what you're doing. Can you make several balls? Then A stands for accuracy. Okay. Now, once you've started to feel consistent, can you start looking to hit specific targets? And you're getting a rhythm with that. And then the last thing you add in is power. Now you can start at a little bit more pace, a little bit more racket head speed. That may corrupt some of the consistency and accuracy, right? So we want to dial that in different ways. But over the course of the practice, if you follow that progression, you should feel closer and closer to where you were prior to the break. It's not going to happen in one day, like you said. But that progression can really help you start to feel your game again. Um, and then once you're in that, that rhythm, I think you can start working on drills with a little bit more variability. I think we talked about this in one of our recent episodes, the idea of block practice versus, you know, some variability in practice. And players learn more through that variability. So can you start to add in some different shots into the drills that you're doing? Can you add in more mobility to what you're doing? And then slowly, may not be that first day, but it might be some point play, some match play. And, and we've talked about how often that's the last thing to come back because it's really bringing all of the skills together, not just the physical and technical skills, 
but it's bringing your tactical and strategic skills. It's bringing your mental and emotional skills, your whole competitive mindset. So you're bringing a lot more in there. And so the sooner that we can start integrating that, but also understanding it's probably going to be a mess at first. And I have experienced this as someone who you mentioned earlier, Josh, off air, that you haven't really had any major breaks and good for you. Let's hope that uh, continues. Um, but I've had some major breaks. And one of the things I've learned is coming back, the hardest part has been finding the competitive game again and understanding there's a process to how it happens. And you have to, in a way, expect a bit of ugliness to your play when you first begin playing matches again. And I think you see this even at the pro level. When a player comes back, they're often losing uh, matches in the first or second round of tournaments. But it's, it's again, it's like a process. You need to sort of screw it up and fail a number of times before it sort of clicks back in. And it will click in. And the more that you understand that that's the process, don't avoid it. Get out there. Keep competing. Keep you know, Be okay that it's going to be a little bit ugly, but trust that you will get it. And I think that's one of the harder things for, for athletes to do is to not let it get them down, that they're they're not playing great. But it reminds me, and I think, we, again, we, we talked about this, and I think we even put it in the show notes, the idea of um, fall seven, rise eight. And, and part of that was why seven, why eight? You're going to need to play a certain number of bad matches or mediocre matches before you start to get back there, before that light bulb comes on like all right yes click i'm back and so just i would want to emphasize with players know that that's the process don't feel like you're never going to get it back you will get it back but get out there get those matches under your belt as fast as you can then you'll get back to where you were prior to the the break yeah and and uh you you definitely see this at the pro level i mean i think about federer who's returning right now from a very long break, I think over, over a year, um, over a year break. And, uh, yeah, he, he's wise enough to, to not start that return right before Wimbledon. He's starting it many months ahead so that he has time to play those matches at the two fifties at the five hundreds, maybe at some masters and, um, maybe not if he's not playing the clay season, but, um, to, to get those reps in and know that it is going to be a little bit ugly to know that there will be, you know, he might not have his timing. He, his competitive spirit could not be at that same point where it was, um, when he was, you know, competing week in week out at, at the highest level. Um, but, but knowing that, okay, through that process of playing these matches, you start to get it back and it, it does, it does take time, but it does, it does happen eventually. Um, the other thing I would add to that is that um, as sports psych professionals, we want to be having those conversations with players ahead of time so that they're prepared for that. Because if not, it can be really discouraging. All of a sudden you're playing and you maybe you're used to competing for championships and all of a sudden you're losing in the first round or second round. And yeah, you're coming back from that injury, but that doesn't feel great. That can be a shot to your ego or to your identity um, as, as an athlete that uh, identifies as being maybe one of the top players in the region. Um, so having that conversation ahead of time and preparing that player that, Hey, this, this will 
you know, likely take some time. Maybe they're the exception. They come right back at their highest level. But for most people, it takes time to find their game, to find that highest level. And losing is a part of it. And losing can also help that player to identify what aspects of their game are still maybe falling a little bit behind. Or, okay, um, maybe it's my footwork and my, my quickness around the court or my agility. Or maybe it's, um, you know, some, some other area. Maybe it's my serve, if it was something like a shoulder injury um, or uh, some something like that. So uh, those competitive experiences, and we've talked a lot about playing practice matches, which is definitely important during this time, but whether it be practice matches or matches that count, those experiences can help us to see where we need to continue to um put our focus and put our um, emphasis during practice and to continue to work on. Um, so I, I would say that it's, it's definitely critical that players, you know, once they're ready, get out there and put those reps in knowing that it, it will take time to get to that highest level and to, to be prepared of that, um, of that process. And, and that that can be a, a ugly challenging process. And we've talked about, the concept of everything is practice. This is a really good application of that. Some of those early matches, and I'm sure a Roger Federer will take this approach, is that in a way, yes, it's in a tournament, but these are basically practice matches to help me peak yep. for a part of the season that I want to be peaking for. And if we look at it that way, perhaps we don't, we're not as judgmental about it. We can be a little bit more neutral. And as you said, there's a lot of information that's probably being given to us through the experience. Can we look at that in a more neutral, almost like scientific way and say, all right, that, yeah, that needs to be fixed. Okay, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Next time we're coming, next time, next match we have, we'll have a, a little bit better approach to that, that situation. And so I think the mantras that we've talked about a lot in, in our podcast episodes, keep expectations low and standards high, everything is practice. Those two things right there can be very helpful as you come back and try to get yourself to a, a place of where you're competing at a, at your top level or you're really comfortable with where you are. And just even researching how pros have done this. And, and I think you're right to point out, Federer, it'll be interesting to see how things go. But even though you know he hasn't played tournaments per se, he's playing lots of practice sets. At the, now, of course, it's a little bit different playing in a in a, in a tournament than it is at, on a, on a practice court. But he is going through that process. So the top pros are are often playing practice sets with their practice partners or or whomever. And so I know that that's that's a big part of the way Roger trains and. That may help him actually come back faster. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, but I, the one I always think about is Juan Martin Del Potro. is someone who's unfortunately come back from a lot of major injuries. And I think he's on <laughs> another injury right now. And, and hopefully he is able to come back. But he'll often have struggles in his first few tournaments. And next thing you know, it's the U.S. Open and or Wimbledon. And he's hanging around in the quarters, the semis. And, and, he, and he's back, and he's, and he's super dangerous, just as dangerous as he was prior to the injury. So there are lots of players where we can look at these extended breaks and that they have come back, and we can learn from how they've, they've you know, traversed that journey. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I would I would look at uh, Bianca Andreescu as a definitely another example of that, where she's had many extended breaks, has had to miss many major tournaments, and then yeah. her breaks see, seem longer than her times of playing. Actually, it's it's true, unfortunately, yeah. Um, but she's she's been able to rise to the occasion and to you know find her best tennis when she has has returned time and time again and in a similar way to Del Potro, I would say. Um, but no, I, I would agree that for for athletes um, of all kinds looking to the pros for um, how they've done how they've gone about things in terms of finding some best practices, but also um, being realistic and, and understanding that yes, their uh, the recovery process could be longer than you initially imagined or there there could be setbacks and to um to sort of know that ahead of time so that it's not as um challenging or disappointing if it does occur um, but just knowing that that is ultimately part of the process yeah absolutely yeah breaks are part of the process and um the more we understand the how to come back from it the more that we understand what could be happening psychologically physically during the break and what are worries about it, uncertainty and anxiety may be that I think the better that we can, we can handle those things. Right. So, well, that's our show for today. I want to thank you for listening for more on today's show. Please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions, please email me and Josh at tennis IQ podcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennis IQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, which includes YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. We're also putting up notifications on Instagram. Thanks again, and we will talk to you soon in our next episode.